Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello, everyone, and welcome to XYZ, the podcast about CNC, automation, robotics, business, and more. My name is Nick Frank, and I'm one of the partners at Frank Brothers Guitar Company, and I'm joined by my co-host, Aaron Goff of Goff Custom Knives. What's happening? I thought you were going to forget your own name there for a second. I was, yeah, okay, so you have these intros <laughs> written out, and you've got one for you and one for me, and oh, yours you at the top, my one? and I read yours, so I had to improvise. <laughs> I'm like, you know, the Anchorman guy, like, just will read anything. Yeah, uh-huh. That's fair. Caught myself. Yeah, man. Things are going pretty good. Before we get started, we should just make another uh, announcement regarding CMTS, which is that we are going to be there on Monday, October the 4th, if anyone would like to join us to see some fancy machines. Yeah, um, Aaron and I are driving up there. Uh, if anybody wants mm-hmm. to sketch on a skateboard behind our car. <laughs> That's the COVID safe way to uh, car share. <laughs> well, yeah, we do have a bit of a crew. I mean, it's going to be you and me. I don't know if Tim's going to come, unfortunately, Ooh. but Mark's coming. Sweet. Yeah, there's a, a couple more on my side as well, so it'll be fun. It'll be a good good time. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So what's been new with you this week, mate? Um, well, I'm running late uh, to our proposed time because uh, I had to get a cup of coffee because I'm kind of bushed. Yeah, that's fair. Well, you, you work late uh so we're recording this on wednesday and you work late on tuesday nights right like what time did you work till last night last night till like one. Oh jesus <laughs> but the night before that i worked until three. <laughs> oh my god dude how do you i shouldn't tell people it, this because i don't think it's actually something to brag about no it's not i i agree like working having to work late is a it's a sign of failure nick <laughs> well that's Suck. a little harsh um <laughs> Okay, when, so when I can, when I get the opportunity to, I like to take it. And I, I actually, I find myself super efficient. Once everyone's gone from the shop and it's like I can focus on my own stuff, my own stuff being, you know, production, but also like catching up on random little custom things so like or mm-hmm. plastics. So I was like making pick guards and stuff like something that I'm not going to like totally uh, fuck up on. Like, I'm not, I don't right. want to destroy someone's... We have, like, a rule, like, no drilling holes in guitars past, like, 7 o'clock at night. <laughs> <laughs> that's, um, yeah, that's a pretty good idea. You Guess why we made that rule? Because <laughs> uh, there were some holes in the wrong spots, I'm guessing. <laughs> um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so I just, um, I've been, been working late. I've, you know, I like it. It's... I feel... I, I think people make... Um, what do they say? They, people are... They're our smartest in the morning, but maybe mm. harder working at night. I don't know. I yeah, I do sometimes miss working late. Um, I I do like it when you like get into a zone with something and you don't have a hard stop. 
Yeah. And you can just keep going. That's it. I mean, that's, I was just like on a roll powering through like uh, parts for customers. Right. So nothing uh, substantial, like just, just right. like stuff you could redo if you screwed it up or totally. Yeah. 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 I did all right. Although I did, I was, I'm still running these on the axes machine mm. and I, so for we're making pickup rings and I, I have to like screw a clamp on with a screwdriver and I just right. left it overhanging the table and it got pinched between the bridge of the, um, the gantry right? And, or the column of the gantry and one of our fixtures and totally wrenched the machine out of square. <laughs> well, it just, uh, did you just use the auto square? Or? <laughs> yeah, that's about as good as the auto square feature. Right. Just uh, wrenching it randomly. So I then I had to spend. That's why I was I wasn't actually going to work that late last night, but I was there trying to you know re re uh, square the machine, and not just we re square. We this thing's covered in fixtures that can't be moved, so we've got some datums right. that I had to to work to within. But there's no like if you ask these guys how to square it, they they tell you to grab a tape measure, like <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. So we have our own way of doing it, and it's not very fun. Right. Well, um, so to everybody that's listening, Nick might have just told you the best reason not to work late. <laughs> yeah. You'll crash your machine and have to resquare. I've it's... done that at 9 a.m. Don't worry. That's not oh, the man. first time I've actually rammed a screwdriver into. I just need to not. Gantry tables. I don't know if you find this. Any table in our uh, shop is an open invitation to, to put something there. Anything. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. You know, this was a tool I was working with, so it wasn't so bad. But, like, you know, like, I didn't run into, like, you know, something, like, completely random that shouldn't have been there. Right. But these these table routers do get collect stuff. <laughs> and then hopefully they don't launch it across the room, eh? Yeah. So, anyways, okay. that's what I've been up to. What nice. about you? Yeah, I was actually up to um, similar stuff this week so far. I sent a big batch of blades to DLC on Monday after working on them over the weekend because I'm behind at the moment. And I like, I, you know, I had a bunch of blades left, uh, DLC coded blades that had already come back. I had, had a, you know, a little, little stockpile. It was like Good. six Good. or seven. And I was looking forward to assembling those. And then I realized that they all had issues <laughs> that I'd missed. What? Um, yeah, so there's an issue that I if you, if you miss them. Yeah, it's one of those ones where it's more subtle when it's dry, and then when I oil the blades, it pops out more. Um, so it's this artifact called overetching. Mm. So when they're cleaning the blades, they use a plasma etching cycle as as part of the process. Um, and normally that just cleans off organic contaminants, you know, fingerprint oils or whatever else could possibly on there. But if they leave it in for too long it actually starts etching metal, um, like removing metal from the from the blade. And it's not a lot, but because the blades are sandblasted, it's just enough to change the texture of the sandblasting. Mm. And it happens preferentially at the corners of the knives. So any, anytime you have a sharp edge, the plasma is kind of like curving around and then impacting that, that next surface. Oh no, more. right around your gorgeous plunge lines. There you go. Yeah. So it, you actually end up with this like halo of a very slightly different kind of color and texture around the periphery of the, of the knife. Right. Damn. Um, 
how how yeah. what's that margin of error for them do you know like how is it like oh they can't leave it in 60 seconds longer or is it like no they left these things o- in so. overnight <laughs> yeah and i have actually gotten a batch back from them where that had happened like they left they literally like left them in for like hours longer than they were supposed to <laughs> and that yeah it, it looked kind of similar to what i got on some of them this time right. you know so it may just be that i think i sent them around 36 this time and normally they only put like 30 in a chamber at a time. <sighs> My dog's being very sad. Um, they normally put only 30 in a chamber at a time. So it could be that the other six went in with a batch of somebody else's parts that they had to clean for longer or something. Like maybe there was a process difference there. Um, but yeah, it is what it is. I still had to blast them and send them back. Damn. Have we, have I asked you this before, but like, uh, or I may have asked you this before. What, what other things are these guys DLC coding? Oh, good question. Um, they code a lot of different stuff. They don't do a ton of aesthetic parts, so they do mm. they do some like high end watches, but that's oh. mainly like an aftermarket thing from guys that are like doing watch mods on like already super expensive watches. Oh. Um, their main business is um coding cutting tools so like end mills right um and dyes and injection molds okay so you know they'll they'll be coding like a a big die you know sometimes they'll be coding a die that's like two feet on a side or something to take up the whole chamber yeah so you know then they're not used to coding aesthetic parts right um and I, I don't know if I mentioned this on the show previously, but I have tried other suppliers and they did worse. So, <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. So I'm just, you know, I'm just going to grin and bear it for the moment. Well, I, I've also had a coding. Um, I have a coding story. I don't know if it's not much of a story. Oh. But our, so we are, um, you know, these guys, cause you've walked by there. Maybe you've used them mm-hmm. before, but we're on Carlisle. We're close right by Mayfair plating, which is uh, a nickel chrome plating place. Yes. A bit of a dodgy operation. If I remember correctly, <laughs> well, they are right next to the hell's angels uh, clubhouse. Um, so we've been going to them for years. Super convenient. They mostly mm-hmm. do odd, like auto parts and, you know, like some random stuff that, you know, when people Google. Oh, I want to get my like faucet re, you know, plated. <laughs> right. Like a some, you know, right. like a vintage faucet for like a farmhouse. I've seen some random, totally random stuff there before. Um, right. They are apparently. If somebody just told us they're closing, um, oh. which is a bummer because they're you know they're good folks. But um, it, I, it, this, at the exact same time I heard that I, I was also looking for someone to do gold plating for a piece of mm. hardware. And I found these people out in Scarborough uh, called Quality Plating. They've been in business like since like 1975. And I okay. took my part up there to be gold plated, just one part. And they were plating, they were doing silver plating on a bunch of jewelry. Mm. Uh, and it looked great, like looked really nice. And so I left my part with them. I, they called me back like an hour and a half later. It was ready. I went oh, and picked wow. it up the next day. But it was, it was great, beautiful. I mean, that's one part. Oh, I was waiting for you to tell me it was trash. No, it was, it was terrific. And the, you know, experience was nice. Um, so, you know, one part doesn't tell, tell you everything. But, but the point was they do coat for aesthetic. 
I mean, nickel and chrome right. is often aesthetic, but like on a carp, like on a muffler, you're not going to maybe see some little thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. Whereas versus like jewelry, jewelry, yeah. I mean, it would be glaring. Okay, I don't think to check them out. I don't think uh, silver plated jewelry is maybe the the highest end stuff, but. <laughs> Right. So, yeah, I mean, the opposite of that story is I was trying out a new place that did both electrolyst nickel plating and DLC coating. And so I sent them six blanks, six blades, like just rejects, you know, that I'd prettied up so that I could use them as surface finish testing, basically. And I'd engraved on each one, you know, nickel only, <laughs> DLC only, nickel and DLC. <laughs> okay. I don't know where this is going. And do you think that they got that right? <laughs> Why would they read the instructions? It honestly, it just boggled my mind um, that I got parts back that said nickel only on them in engraving, <laughs> and they were DLC coded. That's and I was just like, "What the fuck?" Yeah. So that that first impression is really important. You know, when a when a place screws up the first job, it doesn't give you a lot of um, confidence, you know, confidence no. in their abilities. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, it, it, going forward, those the, that would not be engraved on the part, so it would be. Yeah, even more likely to get screwed <laughs> up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, electroless nickel sounds really cool. I would. Uh, yeah, I would love to. Electroless nickel is very cool. Right. It'll electroless nickel will plate down blind holes. Like basically at unlimited length, wow. Which electro uh, plating cannot do. You you know it can't really turn corners very well. Mm. Um, it also builds up evenly on corners. So electro plating tends to plate thick on corners um, because you get like a current, a higher current density hitting the corner, whereas electroless uh, plating is even. Um, and electroless nickel in particular is actually much harder than electro plated nickel. Okay. Um, electroless nickel cool. is like 67 Rockwell or something. Like it's, it's harder than my knife blades. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's sweet. Um, it, it, there are actually different formulations. They can do like low phosphorus, mid phosphorus or high phosphorus, um, electroless nickel. And they each have different like hardness and corrosion resistance, um, kind of abilities. But, um, yeah, it's a very, very cool process. Yeah. Um, I I did some research into that uh, at one point, looking for someone, but I you know this time I needed gold, so I don't know if, mm -hmm. if there's an electroless gold plating process, but they're actually oh, I'm not one hundred percent sure actually about that, but I know that um, for a lot of circuit boards are electroless nickel and then immersion gold plated, like they do the nickel as an underlayer and then the gold is like a protective. Right, uh, top layer. Right, yeah. I mean, these do have they do um, coat them in nickel first, and then gold. It makes mm -hmm. it brighter. Right, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Sweet, um, that sounds cool. very cool. All right, well, so anything else? What else is going on? Oh, uh, what else? I did. So I did get those fancy deburring brushes we were talking about. Remember, yeah, I bought what were the they called? Um, Five hundred dollar the Zebek Zebek yeah, brushes. Yeah. So this is one deburring brush, and it's um, a ceramic fiber brush. So the individual bristles are actually made up of like bundles of ceramic fibers all lined, kind of like 
gloss fibers. There. Yeah, it looked really so cool. They're like, yeah, and they're really strong, really stiff. Um, unfortunately, still not aggressive enough in my application. God damn. Um, yeah, and I mean, really, the issue is just that I'm trying to do surface finishing on, you know, 63 Rockwell tool steel. Like, it's right. not an easy job. So, yes, I think I've kind of given up on the uh, deburring brush idea for the moment. Mm. But it was worth a shot. Mm-hmm. It's a, a bit shame that a bit of a shame that that five hundred dollar gamble didn't work out. But yeah. can you? Is there anything like? Can you put that in your toolbox and use it for something else? Or are you gonna like sell it? Um, good question. I don't know. I yeah. I mean, I'm sure I'll find other uses for it, but who knows when? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Hmm. Is Back what to the it drawing is. Board. Um. Yeah. The only other thing of w- worth of note is uh, I, I, a couple of weeks ago, like last week ish, uh, for some reason I started exploding tools. Oh, that's like exciting. not just like you know chipping an edge or something, like literally having like half of an end mill blow off. Oh my god, that's um, scary. On your enclosed machine. Yeah, and it happened like, yes, thankfully, but it happened twice in a row, and it's basically I've I've only ever seen it once before in the past, and that was like six months ago, and then it happened two times in a row so i was like scratching my head i'm like is this a process issue or did i get like a bad batch of end mills or something you know that'd be trippy um, like some some bad carbide blanks yeah you know and and um most end mill makers don't even they don't produce their own carbide right so mm-hmm. they would be a victim of that too right they you know just get a bad batch or something I'm not 100% sure still what's going on. I changed the process a little bit. So I'm doing a high feed milling operation, um, basically roughing. So I'm actually like cutting chunks off and like dropping pieces away okay. on this on this part. And it's, again, fully hard tool steel. So I was like, maybe there's like a burr that's catching and like going in between the cutter and the right. workpiece and, and blowing up the, the end mill. Um because it was like in the exact same kind of area of the program as well, you know, which makes me think that like maybe it was program related. So I reduced the like axial depth of cut uh, just a little bit. Um, actually, I guess in terms of percentage wise, it would be about 15% reduction. Um, and then I changed the operation. I split it into two parts because it was actually like going onto the workpiece, then off the workpiece, then back on, and then changing direction. So I made those two separate parts where it's in contact with the workpiece, two separate tool parts to, to remove that like interruption. Mm-hmm. Um, and I haven't had anything blow up since then. But yeah, it was very weird. Like I just hear this like bang and then it would be like, it was like you could hear it wasn't running right because it was only literally the end mill was cracking in half <sighs> and I was going from uh, seven flutes or yeah, six flutes so only three. Oh, like crack <laughs> you know, that so way, the, like vertically. Yeah, yeah. It was literally cracking like vertically right up the middle of the end mill. Um, I will say the crazy thing about these end mills that Maritool are making for me, it was still cutting. <laughs> like well, literally, that... the tool had had gotten destroyed. It's broken in half. It had half the number of flutes left, and it was still cutting. It's got three flutes, and now one huge flute. To me. <laughs> yeah there you go i was just really surprised that it didn't just totally crack off then 
Yeah, you that's know? that's really shocking. I mean, I always picture a tool breaking, like across. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean that was kind of what made me think that maybe it's something to do with the operation itself, you know, because like maybe one flute is packing up, and then it's kind of like splitting the tool from that packed flute yeah. vertically or something. Um, but yeah, it's a bit bonkers that they're strong enough to take that abuse and, mm-hmm. and so that, that tells me maybe it wasn't the the, the carbide. I I don't think it was, but I mean, you know I've, that was like I've never heard of a bad carbide. I'm sure it's happened, but. I'm sure. Yeah, it was just surprising to me because some crazy, uh, you know, way to uh, quality control these these carbide blanks, though. More than likely, yeah, yeah. It was just a bit weird to me because this is an operation that's been running like totally fine for weeks, and then all of a sudden, twice in a row, I had two early failures. Oh, oh, you were improving this out? No, no. This was like a a proven program. So maybe it was a combination of things. I have no idea, but we'll see. Maybe uh, it was, I'll, I'll post um, a picture of the tool because it looks really weird. Maybe it was uh, nuclear radiation penetrating your circuit board. <laughs> there you go. Destroying my one end mill. Yeah. <laughs> uh, exactly. Well, um, update on our fixture. Um, mm. We did those... In the house? Yeah, so you remember I was telling you about the we were having a slipping issue with our tiny vacuum hold holding on pickup rings. Right. Moss. So you were trying to hold the pickup ring down for the second operation and first stop losing it, or is it all being okay? So it's it all being just done slipping, like basically just a little. Operation. Yeah. Mm. So we put these little hexagonal mighty bites in, yep. and it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> oh no what happened then well so we put them again we're like trying to fix this uh this fixture we could right. start from scratch and they'd probably make them work but um just the location we put them the material is sort of um hollowed out in the center and that's pretty oh, much no. where we were pushing against it <laughs> which you know we were like <laughs> this hard acrylic will will hold up some we only need the teeniest bit of pressure we're just trying to keep it from slipping i told you two episodes ago that not to do that and you did exactly the thing you're not supposed to do <laughs> um well okay so you know after we were like what the hell what were we, what were we thinking all we're trying to do is save ourselves an extra op an op zero basically right. we've skipped op right. zero this is like this is really op one so all we need to do right. is an op zero with some dowel pins um, that, that'll just keep it from sliding. It's not even, right. you know, it's not even going to take that much time to do. And we can do big batches of it. <laughs> of them. So it's just, I don't know what we were thinking. We're... Yeah. So that's, that's the new strategy. Uh, the Mighty Bites are cool, though. Sometimes you just get locked in. Exactly. I mean, you're, yes, you're, the little hex hex ones. Sorry, we're yeah. speaking over each other. Well, I was just I was agreeing with you. Like the anytime when you feel like you should start from scratch, you should probably just start from scratch. You'll save more time. Yeah. Sometimes when I hit that point, I take it as an opportunity to do a really quick and dirty job mm-hmm. to kind of like prove out one part of of my idea for the improvement or to test, you know, because uh, you're like, ah, oh, whatever, this, this fixture is going to be scrap anyway. So 
just kind of bang it out. Make uh, one thing I will say is though, don't bang it out and kind of do a nice job of it because then you're tempted just to stick with it. Right. Make it ugly, you know, like yeah. make it nasty, so that you can kind of prove out the little bit that you want to prove out, and then scrap it and and you know make the next one or or whatever. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's kind of something I brought from software. Is like if I was trying to. So I, it, when I'm writing software, I always do this thing called test-driven design, where basically rather than writing the software first, I'm actually writing the tests first that verify that the software works. Um, hmm. It's a little unusual, but it's quite widely used. Um, it's not the norm, though. And in my experience, it produces like far better quality software than doing it the other way around. Right. And writing the code got... first is... is yeah, you've got this pile of uh, something that doesn't work, a whole lot of something that doesn't work. Well, and the other problem is too, like if you write your code first and then you write your tests, basically you're just going to be writing your tests that prove out the like happy parts that you already thought about. You know, it, it doesn't really help. You're just, you know, patting yourself on the back basically. <laughs> Whereas if you write your tests first to be like, nasty and trying to think about edge cases you know it puts you in this this zone of like trying to put the code through the kind of pain that it should be put through and then when you write the code in the end you've already thought about all the edge cases so it's just super quick you just put it up you know and then hopefully you're good to go um but in the exploratory phase before I do that, sometimes I'll be writing like a little bit of code that I need to just like test whether something's even possible or whatever. And I found that if I write that initial exploratory code too nicely, then I tend to want to hang on to it. You know, I'm like, oh, but I spent mm. time on this. So now whenever I do that, I deliberately write it like nasty and dirty. And like, you know, if somebody else on my team looked at it, they'd be like, what is this piece of shit? You know, like it's, just to make myself want to throw it away. And I kind of do the same thing with fixtures sometimes. It's like, I've already screwed something up, so I'll just like redesign it and then like tests, test the new toolpaths for making the fixture on the old one. You know, like really um, muck it up. Mm -hmm. But I'm still getting some value out of that bit of otherwise scrap, you know? Right. Yeah, no, that is definitely a, a good strategy. I mean, we, I feel like we have proven enough stuff out on like the axes machine we're really just like dialing it in and making mm. it pretty on the hoss but this particular fixture is new so we shouldn't have done right. that on this we should have just banged out right. the prototype fixture or something proved proven out the concept um before That's investing in, in, a, in it uh so yeah lesson learned in other news um we're down to around 95 hours left of free high-speed machining <laughs> oh no uh so you started with 200 right yeah and uh, the other day i did so leave it on for three hours by mistake so that accounted for three hours otherwise that's that's all uh, mostly machine machining time in the yeah right does it does the clock only count down when you're machining when, or no, just when, when you're sitting there and so you go to the parameters you can select mm. it to be to be engaged or on right and if it's selected the the clock it is ticking down. uh so we just go in <laughs> we like have a note on the the machine be like turn off high speed machining 
We're just being cheap. Just buy the option, you cheap. Well, I want to use up the fr for free stuff first. I mean, it's good good for cash flow. <laughs> oh god. Um, yeah. We got to make some money with this thing first. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, it's like thirty five hundred bucks US. Yeah. Yeah, it is one of those things that just shouldn't be an option anymore. It. I mean, I understand yeah. why it is, and I'm not going to rag on Haas for doing it the way they do it. Um, I would have, I would cry less if uh, I had paid for it right out of the gate and it wasn't, you know, it was just included. And I yeah. see this with other machine tools. Like, since, you know, you brought up Akuma, there's my uh, mm -hmm. compressor. Um, I just, I got like interested and I was like researching Akuma uh, mills and they just, they don't tell you a lot about them online. You have to like get in touch with the salesperson to download a, um, you know, a pamphlet on them. But it seems like they just come with most of the options that you would have to select on a Haas or a, a good portion of them, which is kind of just nice. It is, yeah. They do have some... So what it comes standard with um, a thing called High Cut Pro, which is their, like, you know, high-speed machining, basically. But there is an option for um, upgrading the control to super nerbs capability, um, which I don't know if you've seen this, but it lets you, it lets you um, define tool paths as like splines, like you would in CAD. So you can have like an arbitrary curve, perfectly smooth. Oh. Yeah, which is super cool for doing like molten dye work and that kind right. of stuff. But my understanding is that that's like a twenty or thirty k option. Ooh, okay, yeah, it's pretty pretty spendy. So maybe if you are, uh, but in you know, the tool and dye <laughs> or mold making business, yes, that, that would make sense. Um, yeah, but not so much for us. Yeah, uh, I mean, I still, I think I, I do kind of like the way that Haas presents. Um, you know, the options, like I would just, you know, this is the first time buying one and I would, I, I think I know better now. Right. And he did try to talk me into buying it right out of the gate, but I, I tried to stick I with the listen. options. Yeah. I didn't listen. I tried to stick with the options that I couldn't add on after. Yeah. And then, right. you know, I was like, well, high speed machine, I can add, you know, I can always buy that later. And it did come with 200 free hours. So here we are, you know, 90, uh, 104 hours deep. Um, and my, I'm just laughing here because my dog has stolen one of my socks and is walking around with it in her mouth, looking very guilty. <laughs> oh, now she's coming back to steal the other sock. <laughs> oh, animals. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I would definitely be buying um, high-speed machining on my my machine if i was buying a house that's for sure yeah for sure um in other news i replaced my like a single flute down cut which we love we love the single flute down cuts uh mm. with us with a two flute down cut because i was like oh let's ramp let's you know amp this thing up it sounds mm -hmm. like shit <laughs> it sounds horrible and uh... It's it's leaving a fine enough finish, so I just don't. I don't know. It's um. Did you it change is your speeds and feeds? Well, we didn't even yet. So I was I I was just changing the um 
the feed rate manually, bumping it up. Okay. So, right. You know what? I, though that's a good point. I didn't like double it, the feed rate or anything. I mean, yeah, technically, you probably should be. Yeah, maybe it would sound better. Mm-hmm. It is a little interesting. Sometimes you get like you hear that high pitched chatter that you know indicates that a tool's bouncing in and out of the cut, and your initial reaction is to turn the feed down, but sometimes it works a lot better to feed it to you know feed it harder. Yeah. Go okay. for it. Yeah, I'm gonna push it. Thousand inches a minute. Now, speaking of Haas, oh, send it. <laughs> speaking of Haas, I saw that you added a thing to our show notes. Uh, Elon's SpaceX tour engines, and then you wrote off that Haas EC sixteen hundred horizontal mills. Yeah. And I had a quick click through onto that YouTube video. So, unfortunately, that is a ten year old. Yeah. Yeah. He looks great. Um, which I'm not sure if he's young. <laughs> he looked. <laughs> Yeah, I guess <laughs> he, he might look better now. Um, but yeah, you're you're right. They had like a line of um, four of the big Haas yeah, horizontal mills. Yeah, one of them with like a fourth axis table and stuff on it. Yeah, um, working on early rocket engines. Yeah, I thought it was really cool. I want. I'm just. I'm desperate to know what they have now. You know, what's their shop? Their machine yeah. shop look yeah. like. And why have yeah, they what does their anybody? engine shop look like? Yeah. I th- yeah, I think that there so I know that um during that really long like 2 hour um tour that Elon and Tim Dodd did of the Boca Chica Starbase, which is where they were like working on Starship. Mm-hmm. He, you know, Tim at one point said, "Can you show us in this building are there any like ITAR restrictions?" So ITAR is like uh, International Trade in Arms Regulations, something like that. It stands for something like that. And basically, I think that there's stuff that they can't show in terms of like engine building because the U.S. government is worried about other people copying it for use in like ballistic missiles and stuff. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's why they haven't done an engine tour. I, I'm not 100% sure, but that's like my theory right now. Um, but yeah, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I would, yeah, I would love to see a, a tour. Oh yeah, that'd be great to It'd nerd be, out over. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, and they're building a new facility in McGregor, Texas. That's like huge, <laughs> like just mind-bogglingly huge. Because they're trying to ramp up to building like three of the new Raptor engines a day, um, which is. Pretty nuts. I think they're building one every two days or something at the moment. Wow. Uh, which is already pretty nuts. So, yeah, it's it would be very cool to see the inside of that. But sadly, <laughs> we haven't yet. You just got to get tight with Elon. Yeah. Have, you, have you tried well, emailing that... him? <laughs> I think Twitter would be more successful. <laughs> I, I don't know if you've seen that. about him on Twitter and he'll respond. There you go. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if you've seen on YouTube, but there's been, uh, well, uh, in in the world in general, but there's been a bunch of movement, um, small small things. Uh, I, I guess actually the biggest thing was the Inspiration4 mission that went up uh, last week. I don't know if you saw this. I, I did a quick post on our Instagram um, like 10 minutes before it launched because I was sitting here watching it live. But Oh, cool. Um, you did watch it live. Yeah. Yeah, it was super cool. And when, so basically the idea behind this mission was that it was, 
or the the reason for all the pomp and circumstances is the first fully civilian um, orbital mission. So it wasn't like you know Jeff Bezos and and uh, so on did did their like edge know, of space. First... Yeah, they you know they're literally in free fall for like three minutes or something, right? Like. I think we were talking about this last week that the the FAA like took took Jeff's astronaut wings away. Oh, <laughs> he was very salty. Wow, harsh. <laughs> yeah, they were like, well, okay, so but they were like, okay, so the conditions to be an astronaut, like you have to like be in free fall, like in orbit. You have to like play a substantial role in the mission. Like just being a passenger doesn't count. Oh, okay, and you know so on. So they were like, yeah, give us give us those wings back, buddy. Um. But the Inspiration4 mission, everyone in that crew counts. Like, they were training for, I think it was, like, nine months or longer. Um, you know, they all learned to fly. They all were, like, taking medical courses and, and so on, like, learning how to cover all the parts of the, the mission. Um, and then they were in orbit for three days in zero gravity doing, um, you know, micro-G experiments and, and observations and stuff. Um, and, yeah, just super, super cool. So when you say civilian, are they... Are, are they specialists in a, like a certain field though? Like they're just not, or nope. they'd like, like, uh, it's like sending me to space. <laughs> yeah. It's basically like sending you to space. <laughs> you I would, I, that, would that would be a nice vacation. You know? Well, okay. I don't know if it's, so one thing that we forget about space as it stands is that like being in space right now is not like a super comfortable thing. <laughs> you know, like, so these guys spent three days with four people in a capsule that's like the size of a minivan inside. <laughs> oh, is it really that small? But you have to take a dump. Yeah, it's not big. And you have to take a dump in there. I'd hold it. With everybody else. Well, okay, so they, they, there's like a zero gravity toilet. And then there's just a little curtain that kind of goes in front of you. And more than likely, you've got an upset stomach because you're in zero gravity and your body isn't used to that. And all the space ice cream. And then on top of that, my... the, hey, don't you knock out space ice cream. That stuff's amazing. But on top of that, they did have some toilet-related malfunctions. Oh, no. <laughs> That's the worst malfunction. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's like one of the famous Apollo missions where I don't know if you've ever heard this, but if you can look up like the mission um, audio. And uh, one of the astronauts is like, oh, come on, who did that? And then they're, you can hear them like rustling around. They're like, grab it, grab it. And then mission controls like, you know, what's going on? What's going on? And one of the astronauts says back, he's like, there's a turd floating loose in here. Yeah, I have heard that. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, like we forget that like big in space is very much like, uh, it's it's like, you know, medieval sailing voyage voyages. Like you're not, necessarily having the greatest time because there are some hardships in there including like potential space sickness having to go to the toilet in zero gravity very close quarters with other people but all of that said this was like four okay it was one super rich dude and three regular people <laughs> going on an actual mission you know like being in space for multiple days and that's the first time that's happened so it was super cool yeah that's awesome um, so yeah, that was super fun to watch. And, uh, the FAA has released the draft environmental assessment for Starbase, okay. which basically looks like they're going to give the go ahead for the orbital test flights for Starship, Sweet. which is awesome. 
the um, orbital tank farm. So like the they have like these giant cryogenic tanks that hold all of the cryogenic methane and uh, liquid oxygen that are going to be loaded into the starship before launch. So like all of that stuff has to be staged. You know, they'll have lots of tankers kind of bringing in liquid oxygen and stuff or, or they're, I, th I think they're actually planning to start making it on site, but they have to like accumulate that stuff so they can pump it into the starship right before launch. Right. So it's like stuff you don't even think about, you know, like, yeah, they've just got to have giant ass tanks for 120 tons of, liquid methane you know so all of that stuff's nearly done so we're getting much closer to um an orbital test flight of starship which will be something to see that's for sure yeah wicked yeah i really really want to go down there at some point and oh yeah watch a, a launch yeah i would love to do that where is it where? cape canaveral uh texas ah what's up with nope. cape canaveral no nope. what are these what are they doing over there these days uh, I'm not 100% sure. I know it's still, there are launches happening there. I know that uh, SpaceX leases one of the most famous pads um, that like NASA has previously launched from, but I don't know if that's in Cape and Canaveral or not. I'm pretty sure it's in Florida somewhere, but I don't know if it's in Cape Canaveral. Sorry for my lack of information on this. Yeah, now. usually you know about all this shit. Yeah, well, geography is not my strong suit. <laughs> <laughs> like, to, to put it mildly. Yeah. Florida's south. Yeah, is it, though? So, so yeah, what else has been going on? We did have, um, we did have a complaint after our last episode. Uh-oh. Um, we had someone write in and say they were really unhappy with this because uh, now they have to buy a 3D printer. Oh, cool. Well, that's, <laughs> that'll be $500 well spent. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is one of those things that um, once you've got one, you find a lot of uses for it. I've actually just started shipping my first 3D printed parts to customers, which is exciting. Yeah, sweet. Um, so that's like a little kind of... Um, belt loop attachment that lets you like mount your knife on your belt sideways um and yeah pretty much the only like reasonable way to, to make those is to 3d print them and i looked at having them sent out to other places to 3d print them but it was going to be like 20 bucks each uh, to yeah. print them and you know if you could do it yourself this for... is like a little for i mean i think if in this case i'm printing them for like two bucks or less each mm -hmm. um and, you know, it's just a little plastic thing. Like, it doesn't have to be a thousand percent perfect. Yeah. Um, it just needs to be strong and, and look decent, you know. So I am actually kind of mixing, I guess, additive and subtractive manufacturing for this one. Because initially I had some, like, mounting holes that are kind of cut through the, the, the base plate of this thing. But what I was finding was when you're printing the outside of those holes was like really quite thin. Um, and that little bit of plastic when it was getting printed would just kind of get overheated and, and start wobbling around and you'd end up with a really shitty finish in that one tiny spot. So I'm actually just printing them solid. And then I 3d printed like a little drill bushing and I'm just zip zip drilling, you know, a couple of holes oh, sweet. Um, by hand afterwards. Yeah. So, it, you know, it takes a couple of seconds. Um, and then I just, the top and bottom of the part, I'm just kind of lapping them flat on a, a surface plate with some sandpaper and 
you know, wiping it clean, and then it looks like a million bucks. And is this a part that comes with every knife now? No, this is still something that's optional right now. Right. Um, Okay. Maybe I would do it as a standard thing in the future, but probably not. Most people won't want them. So. Right. Um, Well, yeah, I. I keep thinking of uses for one, and then today I was making a um, switch tip for, you know, like the pickup selector switch. Out of so, if I remember correctly, you make these in a very dodgy way in using your drill press as a lathe. That's correct, right? Yeah, nice. <laughs> um, which I started doing with making them out of tortoise shell pen blanks. Um, and I feel like there's a better way to do it with the cast acrylic because, like, it comes in like you know standard material sizes. Like, I could buy it in rod stock and actually turn it on a lathe. But these pen right. blanks are like you know rectangular and kind of odd shaped. Um, anyways, so I was making this acrylic one, and I was like, I bet you an FD or a uh, a resin printer could pull this off and make it look really nice. Yeah, maybe. And you could even do the thread. Yep. Well, I mean, I've got a resin printer. I'd be happy to print a couple for you. Yeah, I think that would be sweet. I had to, um, on top of uh, turning this on my drill press, drill a hole, drill and tap a hole through the side of it for a set screw. Um, because it was going on a five-way sw- blade switch, which has a flat um, post. Right. So right. it's not a... It doesn't wouldn't have a doesn't have a thread. Um, usually they just press fit, but uh, I've done that before and press fit them. But they always they always come off, even like the, the commercially available ones. So um, I and I had to make the set screw. I guess I didn't have one. This is a bit of a last oh minute God. thing. So I just took a two fifty six uh, screw and I chopped it down. And then I used a nut file for slotting a guitar nut, and I cut in a <laughs> slot for a flat drive screwdriver. Driver, <laughs> it worked pretty good. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you do what you got to do, I guess. But I would have just waited till the next day and ordered some shit from McMaster. Well, so I wanted to get this guitar shipped today. Didn't end up happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, well, I'll just schedule a pickup for tomorrow. Tomorrow's a holiday, Truth and Reconciliation Day which is in full support of, but uh, the DHL is not doing pickups. And I don't know if their um, facility will be open to to do a drop-off. So now I do have time to order one. (laughs) So maybe I will. (laughs) It's always the way. You know, it's a pretty tiny little thing, though. uh, It was difficult to, to hold. I bet. I actually had to pinch it in my fingers and grind the end of it on my belt sander. <laughs> I want to talk about dodgy. Oh, I wore my safety yeah, well, glasses, we... though. So. No, that's good. Did your fingers have safety glasses? They didn't. They got a little hot, but it was such a small part that it cooled down pretty quick. Yeah, by burning your fingertips. Yeah. I, yeah, was the I mean, sink. we've all done. Yeah, exactly. We've all done some stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. What are you, you going to do? Yeah, well, I mean, that sounds like fun. I I, so, I enjoy doing those little random things. Hmm. I really want a little tiny CNC lathe. Um, yeah. Yeah. So do I. Like every time I look at a CNC lathe, I'm just like, that's just 
I don't need that much of a leap. You know, like literally the biggest parts I'm going to make are going to be like maybe three eighths of an inch in diameter Mm -hmm. and like an inch long. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like the smallest lays are what, like six inch chucks with like one and and a half inch, one and three quarter inch uh, like through holes if you wanted to like bar feed it. That's... Yeah, I mean, yeah, Pretty... you can get smaller. Like, you could buy, like, um, a shilling uh, or a tag CNC lathe. Right, okay. Um, but they're, like, real tiny. Um, yeah, and the issue with those little tiny guys is that then you get, like, you know, no automatic collet closer. Yeah. Um, you know, no no ability to, like, bar feed or to automate. But, and that's that's kind of where I draw the line is, like, I would never buy a lathe that I couldn't bar feed. Seems that seems well. I've uh, heard people say it's the, cheap, the easiest or simplest form of automation. Yeah, in a machine shop, absolutely. Like a bar fed lathe. Yeah, and that's why you see people getting into the like the dual spindle live tool bar. Yeah, because then make, you can just like drop. Yeah, make milled parts. And it doesn't even have to be a exactly. It doesn't even have to be like a turned part. You could be making like basically a small mill pot yeah and then you just on, cut on cut it off and onto the next one yeah super yeah. cool i i love that so i, I yeah. don't know anything about how, how you know to operate a lathe but uh they definitely intrigue me you would learn you'd work it out i feel like i could be a lathe guy i mean i do make those parts on the drill press so i'm kind of a lathe guy <laughs> oh god well on that note we will be looking at some amazing lathes hopefully at uh, cmts on monday yeah have you looked into who's like showing there because i I did a little and i didn't see like i I didn't see uh you know certain like i I don't know if akuma is going to be there yeah i mean this part of the issue is that it's kind of hard to tell what brands are going to be there because it's always their reps. Yes. Are going to be there. Yeah. So like, like, you know, Akuma won't be there directly, but their, their rep in Canada might be. Yeah. I don't I think, think they are. Like Cause that, machine tools or something. That was one of the ones I was kind of looking for. So I was curious about that. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if Haas is going to be there either. No, I, Haas actually doesn't show at these, at these shows anymore. They haven't for the last like four years. Really? Um, basically. Yeah. They, they, basically took the budget for doing that and you know they say that they're just using that to provide more discounts and stuff instead but they also tend to do like a um a Haas demo day or yeah. whatever at the same time as whenever the local show is well it, you know so maybe yeah. our local Haas place will have a uh, an open day yeah i would i would love to go check like out um their their facility but uh I kind of, as much as it is nice to go touch and feel some things and like, or go to a, a trade show like this, I, I don't think it's a hundred percent necessary. I agree with you. I mean, for me personally, it's not really a buying trip. It's more like a recreational trip. Yeah, me too. You know I, this what I mean? is like, it's going to be fun. Yeah. Um, I could see that, you know, if like, there's a big trade show for guitars or music uh, mm-hmm. products. It's called the National Association of Music Merchants, NAM. And uh, people will go by there, go to Nam to buy. So, like, 
a store like Long and McQuaid might go and they'll they've they've set up an appointment with Martin and they go and buy like a hundred Martin guitars for the year or something. I don't know. I'm making these numbers up. Right. So you know, that's legitimate. But uh and I'm imagine I imagine people are going tomorrow or on oh, sorry, on Monday to do something similar, maybe. Buy buy something. Yeah. Yeah. There are definitely people there that are buying. It's just I mean, the other thing is too, like you and I are both young and internet savvy. We're used to like watching YouTube videos about right. the shit that we want to see, you know? So like Haas in particular does a very good job of marketing to us. Well, that Whereas, was, yeah, that was going to be, yeah, point, you know, the like, more traditional machine tool companies aren't good at that. Yeah. No, it's amazing how much of a leg up Haas has on the other companies in that, uh, yeah. that respect. Uh, yeah. Cause I, I mean, I bought this, uh, sight unseen. Yeah, 100%. And that's how we sell our instruments. Most of the people who buy them don't try them first. Uh, yeah. So I think it's kind of people are getting used to that. I mean, I remember buying something online for the first time and thinking it was super sketchy. <laughs> My mom still thinks oh, it that's is. That's an interesting one. I, didn't, I don't know what the first thing I bought online was. I literally cannot remember that. It was probably something on eBay. Yeah? Uh, yeah, it was probably like... Um, speakers or transformers for a guitar amp yeah. back in the day on ebay yeah back in australia ebay seemed like the sketchiest would... one to me but it was definitely probably the earliest um yeah i don't know i think for me it was shoes i bought shoes <laughs> which is like it's probably like the last thing yeah it's the worst on. thing to buy and they definitely they I, they didn't fit me and i ended up giving them to one of my brothers perfect Perfect first online buying experience. Mm -hmm. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we should wrap it up with uh, with that story of Nick nailing it as per usual. <laughs> um, <laughs> we will uh, see you if we're going to see you at CMTS on Monday. Otherwise, we will be seeing you again next week on the show. Right on. All right, boys. All right. Uh, we will see you again soon. Good hang. <laughs>